All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday. Great to see you. Uh, and like Brandon said, welcome to the folks online. You know, we got um, however many here, and then I know we have hundreds of folks who check us out throughout the week. And a great way, Brandon said, for the connection card if you're here, if you're online, there should have been a little link that popped up, or you can go to our website if you're maybe just stumbled upon us uh, and want to know more about Calvary and just some information if we can serve you. We'd love to you jump on our website, hit the connect card, and there'll be a way for you to fill out that form for some information. A couple of quick housekeeping things. I have a, uh, I have a great, you know, my, one of the things I get to do is kind of see everything that's going on at the church and just kind of because of my job. But you may not always know what's going on, so I think it's always good to let you know that we're, we're really excited. It seems like we've got some momentum starting to peak again and go and uh, some cool things going on after this service, we're going to have a handful of folks who have either jumped in during COVID or a little bit before that who are going to become members. It's the final step of the membership process. We had an awesome time this past Tuesday. We have a Start Here class that kind of gives a 40,000-foot view of Calvary Church, um, <clears throat> or it tells about the membership process. It tells why we do things, how we do things, what we believe, what we expect to members, what we're trying to do in our, in our area and stuff. And so we had a great uh, virtual Start Here class um, which was great. I'm not a big Zoom fan. I'm kind of Zoomed out. But uh, man, it was cool. It was great engagement. It was cool to hear the stories of some of you who have even started to come to Calvary throughout COVID and what God's done through this community to help encourage you. Wednesday night, for those who were able to join us, I had talked last Sunday towards the end about the opportunity we have as Christians to pray in light of what's going on in our culture, and our world. And Wednesday night, we have this virtual prayer time and one of our elders, um, it was I'll just speak for myself. I was personally very, very encouraged. Um, some, you know, we have this team, spiritual leadership team called Elders, and one of them facilitated that and walked us through some scripture and then just some time to pray for peace, for unity, for wisdom that will act in Christ-like ways. And it was meaningful to me, and I was grateful to be able to participate in that. Tomorrow night, I'm going to be in this room with three or four guys. And we're going to really start to, I think there's even like a PowerPoint presentation already, but I, we've kind of gathered together a strategic team to try to launch and design some things for guys, for men that are true to the culture of our church, but still meaningful to connect, engage, and point guys to Jesus. And so we're going to start putting some pen to paper pretty seriously tomorrow and excited about that rolling out. So, man, God's doing cool things. A couple of technology housekeeping things, and then we'll move into what the text is. We said in the kickoff week, the vision week, that we want to do some things to help you kind of engage you and point you to Jesus, and we can't hand out bulletins that had sermon outlines. Um, but we're super excited, super excited, particularly in, <laughs> what a stupid thing to say. I don't know why I just, I am super excited. Uh, in mid-February, the group that does our website has also developed an app for us and a Calvary Church app kind of for us. And here's the, what I'm so excited about this. Uh, man, boom, sermon notes. Notes. So you'll be able to come, and on your phone right there, we'll have some notes, we'll have outlines, we'll have diagrams, and you can either print them up at home as a PDF and fill out hard copies, or you can fill them in digitally as we go through the sermon. But I'm really excited about a way to keep you know, us engaged in what we're doing. And like I challenged last week, as we're walking through this new sermon series, we're all going to learn some things we never knew before. And so as we take notes, we'll remember it better, and it'll be great to have something to be able to look back to if we ever get confused about the Old Testament. One last <clears throat> technology piece is 
Um, in order to stream better for the folks who are virtual, we actually switched a lot of stuff on the back end. We rolled over to a new website platform. One of the results of that is we've also had to change over some online giving stuff. And so we know that a, a bunch, a high percentage of folks at Calvary give, steward their money online, support God's work here through that. And if that's you, then in the coming weeks, you're going to have to just uh, re-enter your credit card your giving information, and uh, for those that do recurring gifts, particularly, you know, the amounts you'd like to give each, each, uh, however you do that. And so we're going to send emails out to you, but I just didn't want you to miss that. Um, and so that's another technological piece. And we're grateful. We're not going to spend a lot of time now. We'll send out a letter in two or three weeks letting you know financially how we ended. We have a finance team and elders that, that will communicate some of that stuff to you. But um, we kind of like most years, even though we cut spending significantly in light of COVID and the unforeseen, we entered the late fall, early winter with a pretty considerable gap between what we'd received in giving and what we had spent. And uh, through God's kindness and your stewardship, we were able to uh, significantly cut down that gap. We still did end of the year with spending a bit more than we received, but not nearly as considerable as the amount that we went into. And so we'll communicate all that to you and the impact, but uh, again, just wanted to thank those of you who uh, continue to support God's work here. And I did want to take a few minutes to talk about the members and the start here and the men stuff, because God is doing work here, and uh, we should celebrate that and encourage that. And it really is great to see this morning. There was an energy and excitement just as you folks were coming in. Um, so it's great to be together as God's body. You did not come for me to tell you about websites and apps. Maybe you did, but hopefully you came to hear God's word. And so that's what we're going to jump into. Um, so let me pray. Father, <clears throat> I'm thankful for the opportunity again um, to come and to open up your word and to see what you have for us. And so I pray that you will work in this time, that we'll understand truths about you and, and truths about ourselves, and that we will be people who glorify Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray these things. Amen. Well, like Brandon said, and from the cool little graphic that popped on the screen, we are week two into this new series called Narrative. And what we're doing in our time together is we are walking through the Old Testament. And instead of just going one through one book of the Bible, we're going to go through like half of the Bible. We're not going to go through it verse by verse, obviously, all the Old Testament. But here's what we said. For many of us, the Old Testament's kind of like this puzzle. And we may know one or two pieces of the puzzle or 10 or 20 different stories, different events. But for a lot of us, we don't know how all of those Old Testament stories fit together. We don't know how all the pieces fit together in the bigger story that they're telling. And so that's what we're walking through in our series and our time together. And we're going to continue where we left off last week. We're thinking about the way the story begins in Genesis chapter 1, and we're thinking about the creation account. And as we press in to that creation account, <clears throat> there may be some questions that we have, right? The questions that we have as we think about Genesis 1, as we think about this idea of creation is, okay, well, how were we created? And, and why were we created? Why did God create us? Is there a purpose to that? What does the creation account, right? We're going to read some things, the in the beginnings. What does the creation account tell us about God? And another question you may be asking as we study this or think about this is, okay, okay, Peter, I get it, right? First day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day of creation, whatever. But like, it's 2021. And it's whatever date it is. And there's a lot of stuff going on in the world around us and in our own lives. And does any of this matter to what we're facing today? Does any of this have any relevance to what we're facing today? And here's the answer to that question, it does. 
And if you're questioning about your value, if you're questioning what's your purpose, if you're questioning whether this has anything to do with us today, it does. <clears throat> and it's just as relevant and just as timely and just as important because there's fundamental truths in what we're going to see today about God. And there's fundamental truths about ourselves. And it lays the groundwork for a lot of what's going to happen in the rest of the Old Testament. And if we, we got to get these things to understand the story, and we got to get these things to understand your place in the story, and my place in the story, and our place in the story. So today, we're going to be in Genesis, um, kind of focusing in on different verses from chapter 1, verse 3, until chapter 2, verse 24. So Genesis 1, different verses from verse 3 until chapter 2, verse 24. And we're going to walk away with seeing four things about God. Four things about God we're going to pull from these verses and the time together. So let's remember where we were last week, what we left off with last week. We have this awesome little diagram. You should have seen my sketch work to get us to cause this diagram and make it happen. But here's where we were last week. We studied the, the second verse of Genesis 1, and we saw certain words about what was described. And we saw words like without form and void and darkness, and chaos, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form, void, darkness, right? Chaos. And so what we said is, man, there, there was something about this. There was this, this, this substance, this earthy something, but what these words tell us is there was something broken about it. There was something not right about it. There was something judged about it. There was something chaotic about it. And, and before that, right, if this means that this is this judged earth, then guess what? That means that before this, there must have been this, this original earth, this non-judged earth. And we saw that God didn't start making it like this, right, without form, tohu, you might remember, because later in Isaiah, God says, no, 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 I, I didn't make the earth tohu. I didn't make it tohu. I didn't make it without form, which means he made it like that. And then something happened to cause it to become like that. And then what we're going to see today in our text together is now God begins this recreation, if you will. And he takes this chaos and this brokenness and this judgment and he's going to bring order to it and he's going to bring purpose to it. And at the end of this, he's going to look out over everything he did and everything's going to be very good. Very good. But then what we'll see next week is almost right after God says it's very good, it's going to descend again to chaos and to brokenness and to judgment. And then the whole rest of the Old Testament and into Jesus is going to be about God trying to work through and fix and correct the brokenness and the chaos and the judgment that has happened once again. And so the question, though, for us today is we're here, right? That's next week. That was last week. This is this week. And, and this week, when God has this chaotic tohu void, judge, how does God bring order to it? How does God try to, what does he do? What is the means by which he starts to recreate? And we see that in verse 3, which we just te uh, teed up last week a little bit. And God said, let there be light. <clears throat> and there was light. Verse 6, and God said... 
let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let us separate the waters from the heaven. Verses 9, 14, 20, 24, 25. And God said, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said. Here's the first observation this morning. The way that God started to work to bring order to that chaotic state was through his word. God created through his word. And you know what that shows us this morning? What it shows us this morning is this, that God's word is powerful. What God speaks, what God says, it has a weight to it. It has a significance to it. It ought not to be easily overlooked or ignored. And remember who this was originally written to because there's an importance to that point to remind this group of people. We said last week that Genesis was originally, originally um, written for the Israelite people. The Israelite people were, had decades of their story not going like it was supposed to, like they thought it should, into that story. God had made certain promises. God had given certain truths. God had revealed a law about what they're supposed to do. They're in this moment that they're about to enter into this new land. And they're wondering to themselves, okay, my story hasn't gone like it's, I thought it should. Can I still trust God? God's told me all sorts of stuff. He has spoken about how I'm supposed to live when I get into this land. Does it really matter? And to that group of people who would have been questioning, can I trust God? Should I listen to God? Does it matter what he said? They would have heard this account of him creating and bringing order to chaos through his word, which would have reminded them that what God says matters and that his word has power and that his word has weight and it ought not to be dismissed and it ought not to be overlooked. And the application for that is as powerful today for you and for me as it was for the Israelites thousands of years ago. Because today, Maybe there's some of you who have gone through a moment in your story that wasn't the way you thought it would be. Maybe there's a moment in your story where you're looking ahead to what's next and you're wondering to yourself, okay, God's made certain promises to me. God said certain things. Can he be trusted? And the reminder for you this morning is that God's word has power. And God's word has weight. And you can trust it. You can fall upon it. You can crumble into it and you can cling to it. Because God created through his word, through speaking, which shows what God says has power. And for some of us, maybe the question isn't, can we trust it? Maybe for some of us, the question is, do we even need to follow it? And for you, And for me, if that's our question, the reminder this morning is, yeah. Because God's word has power, God's word has weight, what God says matters, and you can trust it, and you should also follow it. And so speaking was the means by which God brought order to this chaos and started to get things back on track. And then let's kind of think about the the timeline of, of how this all happened, right? And here's going to be what we see. As God speaks, this is what he does. Now, I kind of like this little next section. You may not. You may be like, bro, that was whatever. I, I think it's kind of interesting. So I'm the guy that's got this little mic, so I'm going to tell you about it. Okay, here's the second thing we're going to see. Let me front in it. 
that God created forms and then filled them. God created forms and then filled them. Around Thanksgiving time, we started to talk about the Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes. And a bunch of you who are at Calvary, whether you're here in person or virtually, you know, you came by the church and on your, by the door on the ways out, there were these red, flat pieces of cardboard paper or boxes. And many of you took this flat box and you took it home and you did some like ninja-like origami on it and you followed the instructions and poof, this shoebox appeared, right? And then what you did is you then filled that shoebox with something. You made the box, you kind of assembled the box, and then you took, you went out to Target, and then you filled the box with certain things. Well, that's exactly what God does in creation. He makes certain boxes, certain forms, and then he fills it with things. So I'm not going to read uh, the whole creation account. I'd encourage you today, go ahead this afternoon, man, between playoff games, read Genesis 1, Genesis 2, fill in the gaps from what we don't cover. But, but here's what you're going to see as far as the timeline. On day number one, we got this awesome little chart to follow these boxes. God spoke and he separated light from darkness. Light from darkness. Then day number two, God creates something else and he, he separated waters. He, he made sky and he made ocean and lakes and rivers. Day number three, he creates this other box and he pulls the water away and this land appears. Days one through three, he makes this darkness of night in the daytime. He makes sky and he makes ocean. And then he pulls the ocean away so that there's land for people to walk on. And then God comes. He doesn't run out to target. But then he comes and he starts speaking and he puts things in the appropriate boxes. And so what he does on day four, he fills the darkness of the night sky with moon and with stars. He fills the morning sky with the sun. Next day, day five, he makes trout. <clears throat> he makes that amazing largemouth bass that I catch every summer at Lake Winnipesaukee, right? And then he makes things to, to fly, little birdies, the little chickadees that eat my sunflower seeds, right? God filled the waters and he fills the sky with things on them. And then there's land. And so on the last sixth day, what God does is he fills that land with animals to cruise around on, with cheetahs. And with elephants and with us. Day seven comes along. And on day seven, God rests, which is something to kind of sticky note for later when we get into the Ten Commandments and this idea of the Sabbath. Here's a chart with God filling forms and then God kind of filling those things. But, but the question <clears throat> from us, excuse me, is this. Okay. Okay, like, well, okay, that's great. You made a little chart, Peter. I now maybe know days one through six if I didn't. Like, I can go to the waitress at Galaxy Diner and tell her, hey, do you want to hear days one through six? But, but what difference does that make? Like, why does any of that matter? Are we just supposed to know that so that we can rattle off the days of creation, right? But, but, but here's why it matters. Because God, the fact that God created it shows something about him and it shows something about us. Do you know what it shows about God? It means God made it all. God made it all. And if God made it all, then guess what? God's in control of it all. 
And if God's in control of it all, then guess what? I'm not in control of it all. And you're not in control of it all. And if God made it all, which he did, that means that every single thing that he made is dependent upon him. And he's not dependent upon us. See, the fact that God made boxes and then filled those boxes shows that God made it all. And if he made it all, he controls it all. And if he controls it all, I don't control it all. And you don't control it all. And he's not dependent upon us, but we're dependent upon him. And you know why that's important? That's important because this. So many times in my life and so many times in your life, we, we, we hit a brick wall. We get all tangled up because we forget who's really in control of things. We forget what creation shows us, and we start to think that actually we're in control. Or we start to think it would be better if we were in control. And we're not. And then we try to structure our lives, or we try to live our lives, or we take responsibility to control things that we can't even control, which we were never meant to control. Maybe some of you this morning are facing stresses and challenges and anxieties in your life because you've forgotten who's in control. Or maybe you're facing anxiety and stresses in your life because those are there to remind you Man, that that we are created beings who live in dependence upon the one who created us. And maybe God's trying to say to you, stop trying to control it. Trust the one who's in control. Stop trying to run your life on your own and think you don't need me. And realize that you're desperately dependent upon me and that I will meet you in that place of dependence. See, this matters. It's not just for you to be able to get your little gold star and your VBS fill-in-the-blank Sunday school thing. There's a lot of mixed metaphors right there. Shows like the damage from the 70s I need to overcome from Sunday school classes. Man, this shows you about who God is and it shows me who I'm not. And it shows us about the perspective the created things are to have towards the amazing, powerful, loving, sovereign one who created them. And the issue that all of that drives us towards is this. Will you trust him? No matter what you're facing. No matter what you wish you weren't facing. No matter what question you don't know the answer to, no matter the amazing way that he's blessed you beyond your expectations, will you simply trust him in the moment in which you find ourselves? Let's kind of keep drilling down and thinking about, okay, well, we saw all this, but, but what about this? What particularly can we learn about ourselves and about God and about what's going on here? Let, let's drill into some things we can see about our um, beginning. And so <clears throat> we're going we're gonna to think about that. We're going to look at Genesis 2 to pull that out. Now, there's not two separate accounts of creation. So let's, Genesis 1 lists this, 
And then what Genesis 2 does is kind of focuses on this, and it pulls random little snapshots from here to kind of set up this story, and then it focuses on this. And the question is, what can we learn from ourselves about this? Back in the 70s, uh, I would spend some time with my grandparents, with my grandmother, lay down the road a little bit. And for whatever reason, um, I was younger, right? My grandmother would take me to, you ready? Kids today won't get this, but my grandmother, back when I was like eight or nine or whatever, would take me to the fabric store. Anybody here ever been to a fabric store? It's an amazing cultural thing, right? The fabric store, you walk in it, and literally, I can still... Now, for an eight-year-old boy, man, I was all about going out with Grandma and Grandpa to Friendly's to get me some hot fudge Sundays, but I'm like, fabric stores? So, little eight-year-old Peter, you go to the fabric store, and you'd walk in, and there'd be this, this fabric store smell. <sighs> you ever been to a Marshall's or a Home Goods? Okay, well, imagine that, but maybe a little creepier mothball-y smell, okay? You'd walk in, and there'd be the smell, and then my grandmother would go up, and this was actually pretty amazing to me. She'd, she'd pick out this thing of fabric, this big roll. So the fabric store person would bring this big roll to this magic table, and they'd take the fabric roll, and they'd like, thump on the table. Then, I don't know how they do this. This was like a spiritual gift. They start unwrapping this roll of fabric. Thump, 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 thump. And there's this big thing of fabric. And they're, and then they pull out. This was the best part of the fabric store trip. They would pull out these scissors. Man, these scissors weren't like no ordinary scissors. These were like out of Lord of the Rings, okay? They would take these fabric store scissors at this fabric store table by this fabric store. And I, I mean, I don't even know. There'd be all this fabric. And the lady would go like, and these feet of fabric would just massively cut, and it was amazing. My grandma would take it home. She'd get to her house. Then what she, while she was at the fabric store, she'd go over to this other filing cabinet that I didn't really understand. She'd get home. She didn't have nearly as cool a table, did not nearly have as cool scissors because I tried them. And then what she would do is she'd pull the, put the fabric out, and on top of that fabric, she would put this crinkly little paper stuff. Anybody, like, come on, well, at least one person, let me not date myself. Yes! Two people who have as much gray in their hair as I do. Remember this. I only say that because I know who they are, so I know it's okay. Um, She would take this crinkly paper, which also had an odd smell to it, if I remember, and she'd lay it on the fabric, and then she'd pin it, and you know what she'd do? She'd take out her low-quality scissors, and she'd start cutting. Because what she laid on there was a pattern. And she would make a dress, or she would make some outfit, or she would make something. And the paper was the pattern that she would cut out to help her make that and to know what that thing was supposed to look like. And that the question is, was there a pattern for you and for me when we were created? And there was. And we see that pattern in Genesis 1, verse 26. And here's what it says. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Two different phrases there we need to unpack. We're going to unpack the us first and then the image second, okay? This one is the pattern. When we start talking about image, that's the pattern. But let's think about this word first, okay? Then God said, let us. I'm going to tell you about that because if some of you think I'm talking crazy talk and you think I'm making stuff up about fallen earls and you go Google like Genesis, you're going to stumble upon a conversation about let us. 
Because here's why you're going to stumble upon it. There's, because God, singular person, then says, let us. Plural. And the question becomes, why is a singular person using this plural term to describe what they're doing? There's two different explanations that you may stumble upon. The first is something called the plural of majesties. It's a Hebrew term because in the Hebrew, they didn't have like all caps. They didn't have highlights. They didn't have emojis, right? They, they, they had to use the language itself to try to convey something. And so there is this Hebrew grammatical technique that when you want to talk about how great something is or how significant something is, that one person, that ruler, that king, that emperor, you would refer to them in the plural. When you want to talk about how great a person is, a singular person, sometimes you'll refer to them in the plural, and that's called plural of majesties. Could that be why it says us here? Yeah, it could be. But then you're going to hear a second explanation. The second explanation is that this is a breadcrumb. That this is a breadcrumb to a doctrine that will develop throughout Scripture and throughout the ages much later than Genesis 1 was written, a doctrine of a trinity. That there is a singular God who appears in three distinct persons. One God, three persons. And some scholars will say, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that this is a breadcrumb. That when we get over here and we understand that doctrine further, we can look back and say, oh my goodness, it was still here. Is it plural of majesties? Could be. Is it a breadcrumb? Could be. And maybe the best way to take that is to say, you know what, the God who made everything is pretty significant and deserves being highlighted for his majesty. And the God who made everything does exist. One God, three persons, us. So then what's the second thing, right? That, that, I just want to call that phrase out. But then the big thing is this. This is the pattern. This is the crinkly paper on the fabric of our creation. The pattern in which you were created and the pattern in which we were created is in the image of God. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. There are tons of discussions about what the image of God is. We don't obviously have time to unpack all that. But a couple of highlights here at the Imago Dei. The Imago Dei, that's the Latin, I think, for the image of God. This does not mean that God has two legs and two arms, okay? Because God's a spirit. God exists in spirit. What it does seem to relate to is something more spiritual within us. That, that through our conscience, through our spiritual life, through our heart, that we were created with the capacity to, in some spiritual way, reflect God and represent God. And that part of how God made us was spiritually, right, within us, this ability to point people to the character of God and the reflection of God and to reveal what God is like. Whoa, that was awkward. Now, that does not mean that, that you are God. And that does not mean that there are little sparks of light within you, and if you work hard enough, you're going to be divine. Because that's heresy. What it does mean, though, is within you, with your soul, your heart, your conscience, there's a way for you to reflect what God is like. 
There's another angle to this that the Jews probably, the Israelites probably would have picked up on because the Israelites lived, again, remember, in a particular culture. And in that culture, there were different empires and there are different rulers. And when they heard about a king, a ruler, an ultimate person in charge making an image of something, it might have triggered to them what happened in their culture. What happened in their culture was that other emperors, when they had this vast empire, they would make a little statue of themselves. They would make a little image of themselves and they would put that little statue, that little image in the remotest part of their empire so that when people would stumble upon it, they would look at that and they'd say, you know what, the emperor is still in charge even here. This is still under his domain. This is still under his power. The third observation is this, that God created us in his image. God created us in his image. And so you know what that means? That means every single person who's in this room today, that means every single person who's watching live or watching later in the week, every single one of you has value and has worth and has significance because you have been made in the image of God. You have inherent value, not because of what other people may or may not think about you, not based upon the power of your position. You have inherent value because you reflect and have the image of the creator God within you, which gives you worth and significance. And you know what else it means? It means that not only do you have value and worth and significance, it means those people who have political views that are different than you, who make you so angry, have value and worth and significance because they too are made in the image of God. It means that if there's a group of people who you don't like or you don't want to be near or you don't want to interact with or you think you're better than, they have value and worth and significance because they're made in the image of God. It means, <clears throat> and let me say this first, there is forgiveness, there is grace, Right? God forgives us for choices we've made in our past and it is a clean slate. And I want a lot of you to hear that because what I'm about to say impacts a certain number of people in this room. But the fact that there's value and worth that everybody's made in the image of God also means this. That every single child, every single baby that's aborted, it's not just a piece of tissue. It's a person who's made in the image of God, who has value and worth and significance. So you see, this matters as we live life in 2021. As we navigate culture, as some of you navigate your own discouragement and your shame and your insecurities, knowing that we're made in the image of God that gives us worth, it matters. 
And then the question is, okay, well, we just like, well, that's great. We're made in God's image. That's the pattern that he cut us out according to. But like, why are we here? Like, what, 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 does, that, what, does any of the little box of day six have anything to do with our, our purpose, right? Are we just taking up space? Well, here's where we're going to end our time, and here's what we see in this last point. Verse 15 of chapter 2 says this. The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Two things that God took man and placed him that we still carry. This idea of working and keeping. Working and keeping. Guess what working means? Yes! It has this idea of work, right? That there's something that we're supposed to do. It refers to human service to God. It's doing something. It also conveys this, this link that there's this part of kind of this, our religious service, that God has put us here to do something. And what we do is linked with this religious service to God. But then there's this second thing that, that man, our, our forefathers were supposed to do. That we're supposed to do this idea of keep. Keep. I have four children, and I love them all dearly even though I tell all of them they're my favorite. I, I don't really, well, I kind of do. Okay, four children. Two of them, their rooms are relatively clean. The other two, their rooms look like there was a gas explosion in our house. And, and I'm always saying to myself, why can't they keep their rooms cleaner? Okay, that is not what this word keep means. You know what this word keep means? This is the word in the Old Testament that referred to when a priest had a responsibility to guard a sacred space. When a priest had a responsibility to guard a secret space, God created a space, a garden, earth, that's part of his kingdom, the kingdom of God. And God put man in that space to work, to do religious service for him. But he also put him in that place and said, bro, your job is to guard this in my image as a representative of me and keep this as sacred space. Run it the way I want to further my goals. Here's the next and final point. God created us with the role of stewarding his creation and his kingdom. Work as religious service and guard this sacred space because this earth is my kingdom and you're my representatives here. I, I think I've shared before one of the uh, greatest moments of my life is when my kids were old enough that I no longer had to get a babysitter because one of them could babysit for us. So my wife and I, and that day's coming for some of you kids, parents with little kids. I know you're selling like $442 every time you go out to Starbucks to get a cup of coffee, right? To get a babysitter. <clears throat> but when my kids... When one of them finally got old enough to watch the kids, man, that was a great moment. We could go out on a date, and we would leave one of them in charge. And when we left those children in charge of the other children of the house, guess what? The goal, what was spoken, was expected was, hey, I want you to run this place that aligned with my expectations. I want you to do or not do while you're in charge the things that I want you to do, right? I am entrusting you with this moment. I want you to further the way that we do things in our culture. Take care of this place while we're gone. And you and I, if we're Christians, have been placed here to take care of this place as representatives of God 
in his kingdom, furthering his kingdom values. And the question is, how are we doing? How are we doing? Now, now I, I can tell you right now, I, if I worked hard at it, if I worked hard at it, I think I could somewhat eloquently spend about three minutes now critiquing Christians in general. Hey, as Christians, we're here to further God's kingdom values. We're further to treat people the way God wants us to treat people. We're further to be about love and about what he wants. And I could then spend time saying, oh, in 2021, through everything going on, look at all the way these Christians are doing it bad. Oh, the church in America, blah, blah. That would not get us any further down the field. Because here's why. I can't control what any other Christian does. But I can control what I do. And you can't control what any other Christian does. But you can control how you act. And for us to spend time talking about a lot of Christians who do do this or don't do this, who we can't control, eh. Because ultimately it's what am I doing as a representative of God here in his kingdom? Ultimately, what are you doing as a representative of God in his kingdom? How are we thinking? How are we living? How are we talking? <clears throat> what does your social media posts show about how well we're furthering God's values in his kingdom what if what if we woke up what if i woke up tomorrow morning and every morning and thought to myself i get to represent god here today what if i woke up every morning and thought to myself i get to take care of god's kingdom in my little scope of land today what would that cause me to be more purposeful in doing? How would that make me more intentional in how I acted? How would that make me more thoughtful in trying to show God's love to people? Who could I care for? And my challenge to us is simply this. What if tomorrow morning you woke up and thought to yourself, Man, I am made in the image of God. And this Monday, I get to represent God here on earth today. Would that change how you interact with your family? Would that change how you interact with other Christians? Would that change our priorities? Man, Let's not waste this moment. Next week, we're going to talk about how everything goes bad and how God's going to fix it. But this week, man, can we represent the king well? Can we further his values and not try to use him to further our values? Can we be about the lost and the poor and the widows, and the orphans? Can we try to avoid the sin 
in our own life that so easily entangles by depending on the Holy Spirit? You're God's representative. And what I want to do is represent him well. And what I want our church to do is to represent him well. So let's not waste it. And let's not fumble it. Let me pray. I'd love to have you come back next week as we look at the next part in this true story. Uh, I'm going to pray. We're going to worship together. uh, And then we're going to leave as representatives of God's kingdom into a culture that desperately needs God to be represented well. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the truth that you've preserved for us again, God. Um, What an amazing honor that you would entrust me and us who are broken, who are selfish, who my faith is weak. I don't represent you well all the time, and yet you've still given me this amazing privilege of representing you as here in this kingdom. And so, Father, may we understand that. May we be grateful for that. May we be appreciative for that. And may it temper what we do, Father, as we depend upon the Holy Spirit to lead us and to direct us, and may we trust you. We want our lives, well, Father, will you help us to want to want to have our lives represent the King well? And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.